Alright, so growing up, church felt really, really disconnected from the rest of my life. I don't know if you guys had that experience, but that was certainly the case with me. We would, we would gather on Sundays, and then we would sit with people that we only saw on Sundays. And we would sing songs that we only heard on Sundays. And we would say prayers. We, we had all these scripted prayers. We would say prayers, and we would do creeds that we only did on Sundays. And we would hear a message that only seemed to apply to Sunday and not to Monday through Saturday. And then we'd read from a book. We'd read from a book. At least a pastor would read from the book. And it was a book that we only read from on Sundays. Well, over the years, I began to realize and discover that the church experience I was having as a kid, that was not the church that Jesus founded. It is not the church that he laid down his life for. And that book, the Bible, I began to realize this book, as I began to read it for myself, this book isn't just relevant. This book knows me better than I know me. It was unbelievable. In fact, without hesitation, I can say this with complete authenticity here. My most treasured memories, the kind of memories on my deathbed that I am going to be, have the most joy over, all of them happened within the guardrails of Scripture. All of them happened as a result of trying to follow as best we can the leading of the Holy Spirit. And conversely, all of my biggest regrets, all of them, all of the things I wish I could go back and undo, all of them came when I stepped outside of the boundaries that Scripture puts in place and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that says, this is not smart. All of them. This book has incredible relevance for our life. This faith does. In fact, I want to encourage you to pull out your notes, plural, pages today. The first ever four pages. We promise we'll get you out by noon, not noon, by like six o'clock today. So, uh, no, we'll be done. So, anyway, we got these four pages. And on the green one, that is page one of four. But I encourage you to take that out and write this down. Walking by faith and walking by wisdom are not at odds. It's not as if there's this thing called faith that we do on Sundays and then there's the rest of our life and there's walking by faith and that's that thing you do on Sundays and then there's walking by wisdom, that's what you do the rest of your life. They are not only not at odds, they're, they're one and the same. I may present to you anyway. Well, this book of the Bible that we're going to be looking at today and the reason why we've got four pages of notes is because we're going to be looking at this book called Proverbs. Proverbs was the first book of the Bible where I started to read this book and I started to recognize, wait a minute, I can use this. I can use these things that I'm reading about as a high schooler and I'm reading about the Bible myself. I can use these things Monday through Saturday. So it was an eye-opener for me, which is one of the reasons why we have so many bullets on there because I want you to take some of these home and to read some of these yourself. Um, some of these Proverbs, because there's so much great wisdom there, such practical, practical teaching. And it's practical teaching for men and women, young and old, rich and poor, for parents, for grandparents, for singles, for kings, farmers, educators, workers, professionals of all kinds. This book is filled with so much practical wisdom. Well, last week, we looked at the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs, and we found that this collection of sayings is attributed to a Hebrew king named Solomon. Proverbs isn't the only document that testifies to Solomon's wisdom. 
Here's a quote from another ancient document that was also considered accurate enough to be included in our Bible. It's 1 Kings, we call it 1 Kings, chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, kind of smashed together, say this. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. We listed probably almost all of them today in your notes here. And his songs were 1,005. Solomon's Proverbs are so highly regarded. Get this. His Proverbs are so highly regarded, you can see some of them quoted in the New Testament section of our Bible. Here's an example of that. Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12 say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, that proverb is quoted in Hebrews. And there's other examples of that too. The book of Proverbs, if you read through it, you're going to find that it's an anthology, meaning it's a collection. Solomon is not the author of every one of those Proverbs, but he appears to have approved them. And that's a big deal. The fact that Solomon put his stamp on these particular Proverbs is a big deal if you know Solomon's backstory. If you're not familiar with his backstory, I want to share a little bit that, re- that directly replies, applies to this wisdom. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. Well, I'll let you know, too, um, we have a, a Bibles that we keep on that table right there in the back. We encourage you to take one home. If you don't have a Bible, please take one home as a free gift for you. It's got Proverbs and all kinds of other great content in it. All right, here we go. First uh, Kings, chapter 3, verses 4, did we say 4 through, or 5 through 14. And what we're looking at here is this is some of the backstory about Solomon that applies specifically to why should we care that he chose these Proverbs. All right, look at this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David and my father because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I'm just a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had said this, had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and you've not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I will now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in all my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. All right, so imagine this. Imagine you're having... A dream. And this is one of those dreams where this is real. And God appears to you in that dream. 
And he offers to answer one of your prayers on the spot. That happened to Solomon. And he had the wisdom to ask for wisdom. Solomon had the wisdom to ask for wisdom. You see, he had this huge responsibility. He had so much that he was being asked to steward over. And he asked for wisdom to steward over what had been entrusted to him. And now we have this incredible source of wisdom from someone who has given supernatural insight that we can use to wisely steward the gifts and the talents and the resources that we've been entrusted with. And it's so easy to forget that we've been entrusted with a lot, especially if you look by the world standards. I read something earlier this week that said that if, you, if your income is $32,000 a year or higher, you're in the top 1% of the world. There's a site you can go. It's globalrichlist.com. You can type in your, your salary, and it ranks you according to the world, kind of where you fit in. We can forget that, can't we? That we've been asked to and entrusted with so much to steward over. And last week we touched on this, how in our culture it is so easy to forget that, and it's so easy to hold on to those things. Because there's always more demands than dollars, and there's this gravitational pull in our culture towards financial foolishness. If we want to make wise decisions in this life, we need all the help we can get. And Proverbs does such a great job of taking a lot of topics on directly, but specifically the one in this series, money. Proverbs does such a great job of giving practical, concrete wisdom when it comes to finances. And Solomon, as he's giving us advice, one thing's probably I especially loved about Solomon, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back at all. In fact, the English word, our English word fool, shows up like 70 times. He just calls you fool, you fool, you fool. Or this is foolish. He just doesn't hold back at all. Proverbs was originally written in Hebrew. And there's three different terms that we translate in our Bible all as fool. But all three of these terms are really similar in Hebrew. And all three of them are like this. A fool in Hebrews, as, as, as we interpret it, fool in English here, fools are like this. When they come to a crossroads in life, and there's a choice to make between the wise way and the foolish way, here's what defines a fool. A fool not only chooses the foolish path, they will tell you that path is the right path. That's what distinguishes a fool in the Hebrew thinking. They're on that path. Not only are they on the foolish path, they would tell you this is the right path. Now, there's also another word that's used that we might interpret as fool in English, but we use the word simple in a lot of our Bibles. If you're reading Proverbs, you find the word simple. What's difference, the difference between a simple person and a fool is that a simple person might find themselves on the foolish path, but it's there because they haven't really thought it through. They haven't really spent the time to say, what would wisdom say in this situation? So here's an example of how Proverbs contrasts then the wise and the simple. Uh, Proverbs 22.3 says this, The wise see danger, and what do they do? They take refuge. But the simple, what do they do? They keep going, and they suffer for it. Now what you're going to find is that one is repeated. And it's not because he didn't have enough to choose from, right? That proverb is repeated. The same proverb is repeated twice. That's worth noting. Well, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. Proverbs is filled with practical wisdom that can protect us 
from foolish mistakes. From foolish mistakes. And hopefully you're going to see today as we dig into these themes in Proverbs. These, this is wisdom that can protect us from foolish mistakes. No one wants to be called a fool or simple by someone who is wise. Right? You don't want to get into life and have God saying you're fool or you're simple. So what I'd like to do with today, the short time we've got, is to give you a snapshot of what you're going to find if you decide to look at the Proverbs as a source for practical wisdom when it comes to money. And as I was going through, I found at least nine themes. I thought, man, we're going to be tight on time. Do we do three? I'm like, ah, these are all so good. So one of the reasons why there's so many bullets here in the smallest font we've ever used. We've used small font before, but man, this is microscopic. Because um, I, I didn't want to go more than four. I mean, we already have four pages, right? But what I try to do is I try to include some of these. So you're going to see not only the theme, but you're going to kind of see how the theme is even weighted in Proverbs. I couldn't put all the Proverbs that relate to these nine themes, but what I was able to do is to try to kind of weight them. The more bullets you see in that theme is kind of the more, roughly, the more Proverbs that speak to that theme in Proverbs itself. The other reasons I give you these here in your notes is that each one of these brings a little bit different nuance. So I would encourage you to read these through along each of these themes. All right, so here we go, really quick. Number one, one of the themes that I see in Proverbs about money is this. God's not anti-money. He's not anti-money. We touched briefly on that theme last week. One foolish mistake that people can make is to read some of the other things that the Bible says about money and then take them out of context and treat money like money is evil. Money is not evil. In fact, you can do a lot of good with money. Can I get an amen to that? You can do a lot of good with money. Here's an example of how it speaks to that in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 22. Good people leave an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. As I mentioned last week, those who believe the Bible is anti-money, you're going to find Proverbs problematic because Proverbs also says things like this in chapter 8, verse 18. With wisdom are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Now, in addition to things like this, you are certainly going to find lots of cautions and guardrails in the Bible surrounding money. Because one of the things that wise people do is they recognize not only is money a potential, there are all kinds of temptations surrounding it. You have to be very, very careful with it. All right, number two. If you're only going to fill in one of the blanks today, one of the blanks, fill this one in. This is huge. Humility. Humility is one of the greatest assets a person can have. Period. Period. But this certainly relates to money. One of the reasons, again, we printed so many Proverbs this week is you can begin to see that the Proverbs says a lot about these different themes. And that is certainly the case with humility. Humility is a key theme in Proverbs. Here's an example of that. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With humility comes what? Wisdom. Wisdom. When we looked last week at chapter 1, we saw that Proverbs can help the simple gain insight, but it can also help the wise increase their wisdom. The wise can increase their wisdom. That's why humility might be the single greatest asset we have because humility opens us up to lifelong learning. No matter how wise we are, we can keep getting wiser and wiser and wiser. Please repeat after me. We all have a lot to learn about money. We all do. If you forget that, you're going to be in trouble 
because things keep changing culturally, all these kind of things. We all have a lot to learn. All right, there's another principle that Proverbs offers to those who are seeking wisdom. If you now take the green page, turn the green page over, that brings us to number three. Here we go. Integrity is number three. Integrity provides a firm foundation for everything else. This is another theme that gets a lot of Proverbs associated with this theme. And I want to encourage you to read, again, all those Proverbs that are listed. Here's an example of what you're going to find about integrity in Proverbs. Whoever walks in it, this is out of uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Now, if we were in a small group right now, we could talk about this. And I bet everybody could come up with an example of someone who tried to gain wealth or gain power or gain position in shady ways. And they got found out and how that all came crashing down. Integrity is the foundation for everything else. If you have a weak set of moral compasses, it will come crashing down. It will come back to get you. And one of the reasons is... Because God loves you that much. That he won't let you just go blindly through life with this big blind spot. He loves you enough to let you get caught. In fact, I was going to have you guys repeat after me, God loves me enough to make sure I get caught. And when I did that myself, I was like... Because I almost didn't want to speak that over my life. Right? He loves us enough to let us get caught. All right, this next theme we find in Proverbs. Number four, this was my biggest surprise of all of them. I'm not surprised that it was in Proverbs. What I was surprised is how many Proverbs are devoted to this theme. Again, these are not all of them in number four. This is just a snapshot of some of them. There are so many Proverbs related to this theme. The next one, number four is this. Wise people choose their what carefully? Their words. Wise people choose their words carefully. Again, I want to encourage you to read and reflect on all of those examples we include because there's a lot of wisdom there. You're going to find things like this, Proverbs 14, 3. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. When you're upset about something or if you disagree about something and you just lash out, it's not wise. It is not wise. Very few things will affect your personal or your professional life like the words that come out of your mouth and the way you say them. Very few things will destroy relationships or your professional life like the words you choose and how you express them. Lashing out, it can cost you the deal. It can cost you a raise. It can cost you a promotion. It can cost you your job. It can cost you so much. For the record here, I'm not talking about compromising integrity. Jesus himself, speak the truth in love, he says. Speak the truth, speak it in love. You don't have to choose between truth and tact. Wise people do both. They speak the truth in a tactful way. Wise people carefully consider both what they say and how they say it. Now, all these Proverbs we're looking at and all these principles, they're timeless. I mean, these apply to everybody. This is one theme that might actually apply to us even more than it did the people of Solomon's day. And why is that? We just heard it not too long ago, right? It's this, right? These things. 
Because we can get in trouble really, really fast, can't we? We can be like, oh, I disagree with that. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I'm offended. Boom, 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 boom. And we say things and we do it in a way that can get us in real trouble really fast. Wise people choose their words carefully, carefully. There's so much wisdom in Proverbs around this theme. Here's another example on this same theme, Proverbs 18.2. Fools, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. I was um, at a leadership breakfast on Friday. And uh, this, there was an executive from U.S. Bank there, and he had this great acronym. He calls it WAIT. WAIT. He says as he finds words coming out of his mouth, he tries to catch himself, and he uses the acronym WAIT. Why am I talking? <laughs> what a great acronym. Isn't that good? Why am I talking? It'd be good. Wise people seek to understand before trying to be understood, including understanding themselves. All right. Again, I want to encourage you to read and reflect on all those Proverbs. But for now, let's turn to the front of the yellow page. We are on the yellow page. Woohoo! All right, here we go. Number five on the yellow page is this. There's a, a theme you see in Proverbs. Less can be more. Less can be more. The majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. If that's you, you are in the majority. In fact, I think you're in a super majority. And isn't it a hard place to live? Almost all of us have been there. Most of us are there. It is a hard, it's a stressful place to live. And it's so easy to get caught up in that, even though we're making the top 1% in the world, a lot of us. In our culture, constant consumption, it's the norm. And I love this quote by Dan and Chip Heath. Americans have one of the worst personal savings rates of any industrialized nation. For every $1 in income earned, the average German citizen saves about 10 cents. Whereas, for every $1 in income earned, the average American spends approximately $7,300 on a plasma screen television. That quote's a little dated, the technology and the price. But in their most recent book, these same two, quoted a study in which researchers at Emory University studied 3,000 people about their weddings. Guess what they found out? They discovered a relationship that the more money people spent on their wedding, the more likely they were to get divorced. They were quick to say this is not causation, but they said we'd be foolish not to look at this link. Foolish not to look at this link. With a show of hands, how many of you know happiness cannot be bought? It cannot be bought. At least not the lasting kind. Happily ever after would be a better way of saying it. Happily ever after can't be bought. Here's an example in Proverbs that speaks to the idea of embracing simplicity. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. All right, number five flows right into number six. Reserves are wise. Debt is what? Dangerous. Debt is dangerous. Proverbs does not pull any punches on this theme either. Here's an example. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, he says. The rich rule over the poor. And look at this. The borrower is the slave to the lender. 
the slave, he says. This is a valuable reminder in a culture like ours. Our culture rewards the opposite. Our tax code rewards the opposite. Take a look at this. It's from a book called Influencer. In the United States, interest is earned on, or interest earned on savings is taxable. So if you're saving, you're getting some income on that, they'll tax it. During the same time period, interest on consumer debt, like that from credit cards, home loans, was tax deductible. That just seems crazy. Proverbs doesn't just warn us. This is interesting. One of, again, one of the reasons we put all these Proverbs in there, if you read through these examples, Proverbs doesn't just warn us about the dangers of personal debt. Proverbs also says, don't connect yourself to other people's debt. That's a real important one for a lot of us because so many of us have compassionate hearts. We want to be quick to help. As you're helping people, be compassionate and wise. Be compassionate and wise. Or it can pull everybody down together. All right. Proverbs also has a lot to say about the next principle. Number seven. Number seven. Excellent work is rewarded. If not by your employer, by God. Excellent work is rewarded. There are a lot of warnings in Proverbs about laziness, lack of effort. Proverbs also reminds us of what can happen if we devote ourselves to excellence. Here's an example of that. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see those who are skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. All right. Well, now, as we turn to the back side of the last page... You guys have been awesome. All right, as we turn to the last page and theme number eight, we now come to a principle that speaks about what we can do for others if we get these first ones right. And this is so important. If we're faithful to those first seven principles, if we recognize God is not anti-money, and we're constantly learning and growing and valuing input from others, and we're known for being men and women of high integrity. And we're both truthful and we're tactful in our words. And we choose simplicity instead of constant consumption. And we build reserves and we avoid debt. And we're known for excellent work. If we start to have a resume like that, we're going to start to have some resources that we can help others with. And we're going to experience the joy experience with number eight. Number eight is this. Generous stewardship is rewarding. Can I get an amen to that? It is rewarding. Here's an example. Proverbs 19, 17. Those who are kind to the poor lend to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. And that reward comes in different ways. It comes as that internal reward. When you are able to help somebody, sincerely help someone, oh, it feels so good when we leave an inheritance for our children or our children's children. Or as we mentioned last week, how we're able to give the right resource to the right person at the right time, and you can break a generational cycle of poverty if you do that. And then look at just around every week. You know, look here. Look what we can do as we pool our resources together. Every week we can offer something like this, right? It's rewarding internally to see how God can use what we've earned. And then to be able to say, I got to be part of that. I got to be part of that. The Bible also hints that there are external rewards too to generous stewardship. Here's an example of that from Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty. 
and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, we have to be careful because you can take this too far, can't you? It can take you down that path that's called health and wealth. And that's just not a path you want to go down. But there's enough passages like this in the Bible, Proverbs and elsewhere, to conclude there is a relationship. There's a link between God first giving and external rewards, either in this life or the next. All right, before we move on to number nine, I do want to hit pause and to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our generous partners here at this church. We never had a month like we just had. It was incredible. Thanks for trusting us to steward this, your, your, your gifts, your offerings well. We were able to, despite opening up an entire new wing for our kids, despite you know, all the stuff with flipping this room, all these things, we were able, I still don't have all the returns on all the December expenses, but I'm pretty confident to be able to say we're going to finish with more in our reserves than we started with in 2018. That is incredible. So thank you, God, for that. Thanks to all you partners for your generosity. All right, let's move on to number nine. Number nine, look at this. Here we go. One more theme in Proverbs. Financial security is an oxymoron ultimately. That ultimately is a key word there. I probably shouldn't have put it in parentheses. Because for the record, financial security, it's a continuum. It's a continuum. If you completely disregard the practical wisdom like we find in, in Solomon, um, that Solomon offers in Proverbs, if you don't pay attention to your finances, if you're co- not constantly learning and growing and adjusting to new realities like this new stock market, what in the world? What in the world? If you're not walking in integrity, if you aren't careful with your words or how you deliver them, if you don't rein in your spending, if you start accumulating more and more debt, if you don't continue to develop your skills and get better at what you do, you're going to have a lot more stress, right? If you're not walking in wisdom, you're going to have a lot more stress. There are practical things that we can do to have more financial peace. That's why I'm such a big fan of that financial peace course. It has helped so many people. In fact, I know of one dad, he pays for his adult kids to go through this. So I made note of that. That's it's a great thing. There are so many practical things we can do to have less stress. But even as you do those things, remember, ultimately, ultimately, financial security is an oxymoron. Proverbs speaks to that reality in verses like this. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off like to the sky like an eagle. You can do everything right. You can do everything right, and things can still go wrong. Isn't that true? Health things, stock market things. There are things beyond our control that can happen. Where we do everything right, but things still go wrong. And everything we either saved or thought we saved can disappear. Regardless of how well we manage money... We can't take it with us, ultimately, either. So if our security is found in worldly things, they cannot provide the kind of security that our soul longs for most. And, this is a big and, and not only that, the Bible also warns us explicitly that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And the pursuit of more has caused countless people to fall into temptation, to wander away from the faith, to plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. And those aren't my words. Those are from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10. through 10. Well, do you know whose life serves as a testimony to all of those dangers that we just talked about there? 
Solomon. And that should be a big gut check moment for all of us. Solomon fell into those traps. The same Solomon who passed along all these powerful principles. The same man who went to God and said, God, I ask for wisdom. God said, I will give you more wisdom than anybody else ever had. He fell into these traps. He lost focus on what mattered most. He didn't continue to walk in the ways of his father David. He didn't keep God's statutes or his commandments. And his nation, the very nation that he humbly asked God to give him wisdom to lead and shepherd well, his nation divided as a result. His family, you know, after praying, God, thank you for what you did to my dad and how you put me on this throne now. Help me to be more like that. A guy after your own heart. Solomon had a half heart towards God. And his family was ripped apart, too. And all those things he prayed for didn't continue after his death. If it can happen to Solomon, can it happen to us? Yes. Humility, integrity. In the book of Proverbs, we have this incredible opportunity to gain financial wisdom from the one who was given supernatural wisdom from God. Proverbs also has so much to say about how to avoid foolish decisions that affect our financial bottom line. But that's just level one. That's just level one. Solomon didn't get to level two. He didn't get to level two. And that's what we're going to turn our attention to now in the last two weeks of the series. Level two. Where we're going to find teachings like this from Jesus himself. He says in Luke 11, verse 31, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, says Jesus of Nazareth, something greater than Solomon is here, he says. Jesus embodied humility better than anyone before or since. The same can be said of integrity and simplicity and generosity and excellence. I usually have about four conversations happening in my head while I'm speaking, which gets me in trouble a whole lot. One of the conversations was happening as I was reading earlier, um, that, apart from 1 Kings, is I'm like, yeah, but it says that no one's going to be wiser than Solomon before or after. Well, Jesus was. That is accurate. Because Jesus is a, a qualitatively different than Solomon. It's a whole different level. Jesus embodied these things and... One of the crazy invitations of Scripture is that the very Spirit of Christ can embody us so that it's not up to us to get those principles right, but it can be God living through us. The New Testament says these crazy things about how we could be born again. We can become new creations. We can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, a presence coming from within, changing us, transforming us, aligning our hearts, aligning our minds with the very heart and mind of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to write this down. Last blank of four pages. Save the best to last. We can receive a gift that is greater than the wisdom and wealth of Solomon. You'll notice in your notes, I didn't have a blank for that wealth. I added that one this morning. This is greater. Well, we're going to talk right now. This is, the great, this is greater than the wisdom or the wealth of Solomon. Because here's what we can have. We can have that spirit of Jesus. Jesus always seemed to be able to discern in the moment what is the wise thing to do. Some, for some of us, the wise thing might be ask for a raise. I didn't mean, a, I didn't mean that as a joke. 
That might be the wise thing for you to do. The wise thing for you to do might be like Jesus said to another young man, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. I'm not wise enough to know those things on my own. But we can invite the Spirit of Christ to come into our life, guiding us, leading us, changing us, to have that kind of wisdom. So we're going to be asking for that right now. And we're going to do it through the sacrament we call Holy Communion.